Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about pop-up fertilizer, especially fertilizer with soybeans. We'd also be happy to take your phone call throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. But before we do, I would just say it's spring. Uh, we are now officially in spring. And like on our farm today, we're getting rain. So, I mean, we're going to be out for a little bit, but you know what? The good news is the frost is fully out. And that's exciting because many years, it's the middle of April or even later before the frost gets out in our region. So I'm certainly hoping as soon as things dry up, we can be out there doing field work. And you know what? We only have two weeks from Saturday, two weeks from Saturday, and it's our first planting date with crop insurance for corn. We always encourage you take a look at what the crop insurance dates are for first planting in your area for your crop because, well, I'll put it to you this way. As smart as we think we are as agronomists and as farmers, the people who are smarter are the ones who have all the data. Who has all the data? It's the crop insurance companies. They know when you're going to have failures and when you're not, statistically speaking. And if they say, hey, you're good to go April 10th planting corn, I feel pretty confident planting corn April 10th. If not, I know I'm covered. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, we got this in from Brad. And he said, I'm thinking about applying cattle compost manure this coming fall. My question is the iron levels. Looks like they are averaging around 13.7 pounds of iron per ton of compost. Great. We were planning on applying five tons of compost per acre. Okay. Is that too much iron to be applied to the soil or would you anticipate any other issues? Nope. Looks fine to me. A lot of farms, on a lot of farms, they are short on iron and don't really realize it, think about it. I mean, let's face it, everybody's focused on NP and K. And then after that, we talk sulfur. We do talk calcium and magnesium often. If you're a corn farmer, you talk zinc. If you're a soybean farmer, you might talk copper or something like that or manganese. But how often is iron really mentioned? Not often enough, in our opinion. I have no issue with this. Now, sure, if you did, you know, 20 tons a year for 10 years in a row. I mean, maybe you're starting to push it, but even then, I am not that worried about it. You should be fine. All right. You got this one from AB from India. And AB says, We've got sodic soil. Unfortunately, we don't have the machines for installing tile drainage. Could you please advise us on any alternatives to handling sodic soils? Oh, so what did our ancestors do, Brian, before they had tractors, before they had machines? They hand dug it in. They hand dug in clay tile yep. over 100 years ago That's right. in our country, and they've done that around the world. Yep. So it may be one of those things. If you don't have the machines. You build or, the machine, or it's unfortunately back to manual labor. But manual labor is going to cost so much. You're ahead to build a machine if you had to. Well, or import in a India, machine. and I don't know what manual labor would cost there. It may not cost as much as you think. But uh, it's, it's I don't know if you've cost got a lot. Yeah, I don't know if you've got the people to do that, or if you can access the clay tile. But you know, it's but, one of those things where you've got an issue that water is not moving down through the soil, and the salts are rising to the top. And at a certain point, the salts get so heavy and thick that you're in big trouble, and you can't. 
can't get rid of them. Yeah. Now, let's put it this way. Sodium by itself is not a salt. Okay. What we try to do with sodium to flush those sodic soils out is we try to turn that sodium into a salt. Salts are leachable, and with good drainage, you'll flush the sodium then out of the soil after it becomes a salt, of course. And, and usually we turn it into a salt with sulfur, some sort of sulfur, whether that's gypsum, elemental sulfur, whatever it is. And eventually you, you make this whole thing work. But drainage is the whole key. So if you say, okay, I don't want to build a machine. I don't want to dig anything in, by hand. I, I, I want to do it without improving my drainage. I would tell you, you have to find the right crop. And what a lot of people will do is just turn it into grass and they'll have cattle graze out there. Now, I don't know the value of grassland in India versus the value of cropland, but here in the United States, it's one third roughly. So if I've got cropland, it's it's just worth a lot more money. So nobody wants to take their cropland and turn it into pasture land. And when I say a third, it's it, that's not true everywhere. It might be half or two thirds or whatever, depending on your region. But the point here is simply you might have to go with something that isn't going to generate near the revenue and that's unfortunate. All right. Thanks for the question, AB. Really appreciate that. Thanks for checking out our program. This one comes from Lee in South Dakota. He said, attended your tiling clinic. Wanted to get a question into the drainage lawyer that was there. Maybe you guys can help. I've got an 80-acre field. I've got a highway on one side. This is in South Dakota. So highway on one side of the field, gravel road on the other side. The meandering waterways on both sides were dammed up when they put in those roads. Now the wetland determination said the low areas are wetlands. Could I possibly get this yep. redetermined? Absolutely. And this is where, okay, you don't necessarily have to have a lawyer to do something like that, but you can absolutely go back and appeal it. And what they're going to do is look at, okay, before the road got put in and dammed up your water, what was it like then? Was it a wetland then? And so if they have records back far enough, that shouldn't be that difficult to prove. So I would first talk to NRCS. Hopefully they will work with you. If they don't, that's when you call the drainage lawyer. All right. Thank you. I appreciate the question. I got this from Lloyd. He said, I'm an old man raised on a farm in the 70s, and I want to get back into farming as a retirement. Is there a way to simplify all the readings on the soil sample so I can understand what to do? Yeah, absolutely. We teach soils classes. In one day, we can tell you start to finish what you need to do. Otherwise, just send us your soil tests and we'd be more than happy to take a look at them. And in just a couple minutes, we can give you a decent idea on what should help you and where your first dollars should go. Yeah, the other thing too, Lloyd, just download the free Ag PhD app for your tablet or smartphone uh, called the nutrient removal app and you can type in whatever crop you're raising in your yield goal it'll tell you what you need to feed this crop and that would be the first place to start we'll get back to more of your questions and talk about pop-up fertilizer and soybeans right after this want to cut production costs without losing yield brian ryberg from buffalo lake minnesota has done just that here's his story we began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014 We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. 
With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to talk about pop-up fertilizer in soybeans and take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. One of my favorite things to do in the summer, and I look forward to this every year, is I like to go up to Michigan to AgriLiquid's North Central Research Farm, and I like to quiz Stephanie Zelenko about how much fertilizer you can put in the furrow with soybeans. So what a great way to start off the show today, talking about pop-up fertilizer and soybeans. And I got Stephanie on the phone. Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm good. How about yourself? Well, pretty good. I know you cringe when I say, you know, I know a guy who did this. <laughs> I like to tease you a little bit, but hey, pop-up fertilizer and soybeans, we do get a lot of questions about it. And I know at some rate, we're still fairly safe. How do you handle those questions with, with growers talking about putting things in furrow? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I cringe, you know, every time I see see you sitting there because <laughs> I know this question's going to come. It is. Um, but it's just not you. There's a lot of people that ask this question. And I think as we push for higher yields, guys are looking for ways to get some additional nutrients in furrow, uh, just like we do on corn. And so I address it by looking at, you know, what that placement is in furrow, because there's lots of in furrow options, what your soil type is like, and what your moisture is, and your row, pl- your row spacing. So those are the main questions I start with. But then there's lots of fertility options that we have that we can mix and match and get you a really safe in furrow program. All right. When we think about corn, I know growers say, man, I got to have some phosphorus out there that's going to be available early in the season. Products like Pro Germinator, for example, delivering that needed phosphorus for that early growth in corn. How about soybeans? Do they need certain nutrients early? I know they've got quite a few nutrients packed into that seed, but at some point that runs out. Yeah, absolutely. And they do need nutrients early. And now that we're planting soybeans earlier, in some cases, you know, people are planting soybeans before corn. And it's those cold temperatures that you just get limited root growth where you can't plant and get that root uptake that we get the advantage from that pop-up fertilizer. So if you need phosphorus, then absolutely, um, that's the way to go for an in furrow placement on soybeans. If you don't, then you need to spend those dollars on micros or potassium, which would be a better return. 
Okay, I know on the phosphorus side, we had one of your counterparts on here just a couple weeks ago talking about a new kind of pop-up phosphorus. Is that for soybeans as well? It is. So SpringUp is our newest phosphorus product. It has a lower analysis than what our pro-germinator does. And because of that, that makes it a perfect fit for in-furl on those seeds or those sensitive crops, those soybeans, sunflower, canola, things like that. So this is going to be our new go-to if we're looking for in-furrow applications on soybeans, as long as you don't have some other soil factors, which that's where working with a, a salesman or an agronomist can help make those determining factors. All right. Now, when we think about pop-up, we, we certainly could go over to the side in a two-by-two two or something like that. We've got a lot bigger cushion for safety in the two-by-two. Two. With soybean roots, and you mentioned earlier planting and limited root growth, do you think we're still able to take advantage of that two-by-two two as well, or do we need to have something in furrow even if we've got a two-by-two? Two? I think it's going to depend upon, you know, what your soil looks like. If you have good fertility levels, then a two by two is going to be just fine. It's going to be, you know, close enough that that system can take it in um, shortly after growth. You know, they have a pretty wide root system. They can tap into that pretty quickly. But if we have those really low phosphorus levels or even low potassium levels, some of that really close to the seed in furrow can be a benefit. All right. Now we talked to a lot of farmers that will say, well, what about 1034-0? And man, do I get nervous about that salt. Is there a reason that 1034 is a little more risky that that you could explain to a grower and why he may choose something different? So I'll kind of flip that around the other way and say what agroliquid does. And we just protect our nutrients with a plant protein. So that plant protein is just going to be safer for the crop because it's a natural element. And that's going to kind of buffer that from any negative effects that we can get from that salt side that a lot of fertilizers carry. So, you know, fertilizer is still a salt. It's just, you know, how that's protected. So it's going to be safer for the plant. So that's the main difference between a 1034-0 or some of those other, you know, pop-up fertilizers is they're just a fertilizer where we will protect ours. So we're going to reduce that amount of injury potential we have for that plant. All right, Stephanie, I always tease you about the research you're doing up in Michigan, and it is exciting, and there's a lot of things to see there, and I'm looking forward to an agro-expo coming up this summer. But how about some of the research that you do around the country? I know that you're looking at, at different fertilizer uses in really all crops throughout the United States and beyond. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in different parts of the country? you probably got some growers already starting to, to plant some crops in the south. Sure thing. Yeah, that's a big part of my, my role here at AgroLiquid is looking at our trials across the country. And we've done, you know, a pretty extensive expansion on what we're doing because we are growing into areas that we have different crops. So we have sugarcane in Louisiana, almonds, potatoes, tomatoes, those crops that we don't grow, you know, pretty consistently here in Michigan um, or not at all in some cases. And so we're focusing on getting new products out in the field for future development. And then we're also looking at just proving our baseline products and all those different crops or different soil conditions in different geographies so we can build that win rate data to say, yes, it works here in Michigan at our research farm, but we can replicate that in many other states or other soils or other crops or growing conditions. 
Well, it certainly does give a lot of confidence when you make recommendations for things like pop-up fertilizer and soybeans. Yes, you don't want to put on your whole load of fertility for the whole year, but you can certainly put some on to give that plant an early start. Uh, talking with Stephanie Zelenko here with AgriLiquid. Stephanie, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck you're heading into the spring. All right, thank you. You know, Brian, Stephanie brought up a couple of good points there. As growers are pushing for earlier planting on soybeans, they have seen some yield gains there. But, man, you've got limited root growth if things are still kind of cold. Having fertility and good supply in the soil is always important. Absolutely. So there's just this balancing act all the time with our crops because soybeans are really sensitive. You can't put a whole lot of fertilizer in furrow, yet, we know that the soybean plant needs a crazy amount of fertility as it goes through the season. And I, I realize when you think about soybeans, a lot of people will say, oh, they're a scavenger crop. They're really not. They have one-fifth the amount of root mass of corn. They are not a scavenger crop. They, they just they can't explore as much soil. They need a lot of fertility there. And also, they need a lot of potassium and a lot of phosphorus. Soybeans, I mean, just think about the soybean seed in the end compared to the corn seed or the wheat seed. Think about how high in protein that soybean seed is. In order to generate that much protein in that seed, it just takes a lot of nutrients. So, I mean, we'll talk through the, throughout the show today about N, P, and K, but we'll also get to some of these micronutrients. And we, we just encourage you to have a balanced overall approach. Yep, it's going to start with, hey, you know, in a lot of cases, we'd like a little bit of fertilizer right near the seed and certainly, um, you know, near those young roots when they're going to be coming out. We have to be careful with that. But that's not the only thing to do. We we do like seeing overall decent fertility levels out there, again, especially with P and K, but then also you get to the micronutrients. So anyway, I would just say when we start talking pop-up fertilizer in soybeans, we get a lot of questions about that because people go, well, I'm going to start planting my beans with my corn planter. I've got the fertilizer on there. Can I put three gallons or five gallons on just like I do for my corn? And my answer almost always is no. Most of the time, we're just running a gallon. Now, certainly with a low salt product, you could do more. But our, our standard rules are, hey, the further away the fertilizer is from the seed, the more you can put on. Well, obviously, if it's near the seed, you can't put a lot on. Number two is how heavy is your soil? The heavier the soil, the more fertilizer you can use. And number three, how much rainfall do you have? Now, the problem with the rainfall question is we just don't know. Even if you're That's in... That's exactly right, Brent. Unless you've got irrigation, right. you say, oh, we get lots of rain. Right. Some years, you don't. Right. And or that's, it doesn't come at the right time. Right, and that's the whole problem. If you put uh, fertilizer, and especially a high salt product, but if you put any fertilizer near that seed, and for whatever reason, you just don't get moisture for two weeks, you could potentially have some problems there. So that's, that's part of why we're talking about this. We just want you to be safe. Be safe, be safe, because Darren and I have been on so many farms where people will say, oh, I've always done it this way, or I've done it this way for five years or whatever. Yeah, I understand that. But we got to talk about, okay, what's the one in five year or one, or ten, one in 10 year event? We want to try to avoid those issues. We'll talk more about fertilizer right after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry. 
three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitec Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void where prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about something a little bit different. I know we get a lot of questions about pop-up fertilizer in crops like corn, but in soybeans, there's some skepticism out there. There's some growers that say, man, it works great. There's others who have had disasters, and there's certainly a fine line in there about what you can and can't do. We've got a great crop consultant on with us right now, friend of the show, Rob Dedman down in Arkansas. Rob, how you doing? Hey guys, how are y'all today? You know, we're doing pretty good. We're we're uh, getting close to planting season. One of the things we're talking about is fertilizer on soybeans. Do you see many guys putting some in the furrow down there? Yeah, so you know, it's it's not a real common practice in our area, but we are doing some some uh, in furrow work. Um, sometimes we'll use a fungicide, things like that. But we're doing a lot of we are doing some fertility in furrow. Um, Maybe try to do a little bit of a phosphorus product or something like that, you know, where we where we need a little phosphorus, a little ortho type product. 
Uh, I always want to be careful not to put fertility in that furrow with the soybean to, to, to hurt that bean. They're a little bit, little more delicate than the corn is, but we um, always like to put a little the um, the biologicals, and then I always want to run maybe a, a carbon type product, maybe a little sugar or something like that to help get those beans off to a great start. Now you mentioned uh, that you're putting in some fertilizer, but you don't want to have a problem here where you hurt anything. That's a fine line. Now I know you work with guys that are raising a hundred bushel or more soybeans per acre. It's amazing, and the fertility need for a hundred bushel beans is pretty high. How much of that fertility can you put in the furrow? Does it matter if you're raising sixty bushel beans versus a hundred? Is there just kind of a fine line there that you have to stop at? Yeah, you know so. In furrow, I'm really not putting a lot of fertility. Uh, very, very light rates, just enough to to get that young seedling a, a little bite of something to eat as it as it begins its growing process. You know, we use so much we use so much poultry manure uh, on the farms down here and and everything. We have really great fertility in the soil, but 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 my purpose on that um, in furrow with my beans is to to just get that get that little plant something to eat real quick, get it off growing really fast. You mentioned putting fungicide in the furrow, and I know we've done a lot of that work on the corn side, and it sure helped us early on. Do you have certain diseases that you're trying to, to fight off, or is it more of a plant health play? Why do you like doing that? So, you know, we do. We have a little pit. You know, issues on some of our grounds, a little rylock in some places, and, and, and even those seed treatments are good. And, and you know, as we've talked about many times before in soybeans, is I, I'm, I'm really big on plant health. Um, I'll put fungicide on soybeans even when I don't have a lot of visual diseases just because of the, the plant health aspects. So, you know, that, that's probably one of my things. And, and, you know, Matt Miles has said it best before. When it's cold outside, you're not going to send your kid to school on a short sleeve shirt. You're going to put a jacket on him. And, and, you know, we've already got a lot of acres of beans in the ground. Uh, you know, so we've been in some cooler, wet environments. Uh, beans are starting to come up. And, and so getting these fungicides out there and getting them out there right, has really been good for us. Yeah, it, there's a lot of things that go into getting that crop off to a good start. You mentioned the sugar or the carbon source. Is that something you've done a lot of work on? Is that something that you say, man, if we don't do that, it really hurts us? Or is it just something that you say it's pretty inexpensive, it makes a lot of sense when we're adding biologicals here, so we're going to do it? Yeah, most definitely. I, I think it's one of those things that we keep we keep trying to quantify it. it it's hard to quantify, but it, it, it like you said, it is inexpensive and it, it kind of makes sense, you know, with everything. And and when you are running fertility, you know, it's my opinion that the carbon sources will will help buffer some of the, the, the salts, even though we're using low salt fertility, it even buffers what's there to uh, to keep it from burning those little uh, beans. You know, that seed coat on that bean is really thin, so I want to do everything I can to protect it. You mentioned the litter and how building up soil fertility has been really valuable on these soybeans. Are you able to put litter on right ahead of soybeans, or do you like to have it on a year ahead? How how do you handle the litter? Well, about 90% of all the litter that we put out is, is all fall applied after the previous crop is taken off. Um, it seems to it seems to me that the, the nitrogen that's in that litter really helps with the breakdown of the stover, especially in the previous corn crops and stuff. Um, so, so all of ours is, is fall applied. We do have some times that we'll spring apply and, and, and don't really have any problems behind it. Okay. 
And then you also mentioned the biological part here. We get a lot of farmers that are looking for that silver bullet. Are the biologicals the silver bullet, or are they just another piece of the puzzle? You know, they're just another piece of the puzzle. That, that microbial life in that soil is really important. Um, you know, we all know that microbes help break down different different fertilizers and different microbes do different things. But but overall, that plant, you know, if, if we've got that life in that soil like it needs to be, then, then it's going to help us optimize that yield. All right. Now, as a consultant, you get to work with guys that are just getting started and, and trying to build up yield levels. You also get to work with some guys that are at the top. So you got a pretty good uh, diverse group of fields you get to look at. When it comes to nitrogen, do you have a certain yield goal where you say once we get past 60 or once we get past 80 bushel, that's where nitrogen becomes a key? Or, or are you always using a little bit of nitrogen for your crop? So that, that's the $100 argument today. Um I feel like it, you know, once you get to that 80, anywhere below 80, I don't really feel like we need to supplement. Uh, I really think that a, a good inoculant and get these beans inoculated, I feel like those beans can, can take care of themselves up to about 80. And anything past 80, you may need to start looking at it. And and then that depends on, on the litter. You know, we, we have a lot of residual nitrogen, and, and that nitrogen continues to break down in those soils every year. So we've got a lot of soil nitrogen um, and everything. So that's probably why we're not supplementing a lot of nitrogen. I would think in an environment that is it hasn't had all that that litter and stuff that you don't have those high residual nitrogen numbers and and, and you would probably see more of a uh, a benefit of a R two R three application of nitrogen. How about in in crop rotation changes? I, I know we get some guys that put soybeans following a soybean crop. Is the nitrogen a bigger deal there? Are you still inoculating? What do you tell the guys that are doing soybeans following soybeans? So you know that's I don't really see where inoculating soybeans behind soybeans unless you're really going for these ultra high yields that we like to play with and stuff. Where you benefit from that, but um, you know it's. It's my favorite rotation is, is beans behind corn. I, I feel like that's eight to ten bushels every time. Yeah, yeah, I, I sure like having that rotation out there for a lot of reasons, and I know you guys fight a lot of frog eye and, and other challenges later on, root knot nematodes. There's there's plenty of reasons not to do beans after beans, but I think that fertility piece, the way it all works out, it, it just seems to seems to fit pretty well up here as well. I'm uh, talking with Rob Dedman. He's a crop consultant down in Arkansas. Rob, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the time and information today, and good luck here as you get into a crop this year. Yeah, y'all have a great one. Good luck. You bet. You too. All right, Brian. Uh, Rob brought up a couple of things there in terms of the fertility piece, and I, 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 he started off saying, "Man, if we've got the soil fertility built up, that's just a great place to be putting soybeans in." Absolutely. So we talked earlier about how soybeans aren't a great scavenger crop. So I want you to think about this just a little bit. If you've got low fertility, a low fertility field versus a high fertility field, since Soybeans can't extract as much from the soil as what corn can, since corn has five times the root mass. Where are soybeans going to do better, a low fertility field or a high fertility field? Pretty easy, right? I mean, they're going to do better in that high fertility field. Now, I get it. If, let's say, you are renting ground and you go, well, I'd build it up if I owned it, but I don't. Roughly half the ground in the United States is rented. Half. It's a huge percentage. I don't, I don't know what the percentage is in Canada, but that's what it is in the U.S., roughly. So if you think about that, that means half the acres 
people need to probably treat a little bit differently. And I don't mean we need to neglect it or anything else, but that's where we start talking more about banding um, and hopefully fertilizing, still fertilizing the crop well. But we do talk more about banding. And this is also where pop-up fertilizer or 2 by 2 or anything like that can help a little bit. We just really encourage you, if you're going to use pop-up fertilizer in soybeans, use a low-salt product, keep the rate low. And I would also put some water with it. Water absolutely will help safen that fertility. It's a tip we picked up from Francis Childs. He was the world record holder for corn yield for many years. He was a farmer down in Iowa. And he just told us, hey, put water with your your uh, pop-up fertilizer. really safens it. Don't have nearly the burn and still get good yield. We'll talk more fertilizer right after this. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want, Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. High yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator closing wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I've been talking about pop-up fertilizer and soybeans, and I realize that sounds like it's a little bit of a narrow topic. But what, a couple of things that we wanted to point out is that soybeans, have, as Rob Dedman had, had expressed, have a very thin seed coat, and they're very sensitive to salts. And they don't want to see too much salt in that furrow. You can easily hurt a soybean much easier than hurting corn, for example. And when we're looking at this, yes, soybeans are going to start off, especially if you're planting early. They've got limited root growth. They need some available fertility there. But if you caught this other piece that Rob said, I thought this was great. He's like, man, we love planting soybeans into fields where we built up the soil fertility. Now, he talked about doing it with litter, uh, with with chicken litter or turkey litter where they're at, this can be commercial fertilizer too. The point is that soybeans love having soils that have fertilizer. Here's where we see when Brandon and I talk to growers really all over the world that are growing soybeans, where they fall down and where they get 30 or 40 bushel beans instead of 60 or 80 or more, is that they say, you know what, I put fertilizer on the corn and there's going to be fertilizer there carryover for my soybeans that the soybean plant can mine out. I would just challenge you, if you're of that mindset, you're not going to believe me that I say, ah, oh, might not be, might not be so. So go out in your field, dig up a soybean plant and see how big that root system is. Then go over in your cornfield and dig up a root mass underneath the corn plant. I think I might have just got you right now without even digging. You can picture it in your mind. Oh, yeah. Soybeans don't have many roots. No, they don't. And as Brian had said before, they're packing a high-protein seed. They need a lot of fertility, and they need it in a hurry because as soon as those soybeans are putting on actual pods, they're drawing in a ton of fertility all at once. So you've got to have good fertility in your soil. Just look at your good ground versus some newer ground or some rented ground that's not built up in fertility. You'll see a huge difference. So here's one of those things. You could do a little bit of pop-up just to get your soybeans until they've got a big enough root system to start gathering up some of the nutrients that you built up in your soil. Okay, I got two last points here. First, corn fertilizing fertilizing for corn and then not fertilizing for beans. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. It's not. You can certainly do that. I have no issue with that. All I have an issue with is make sure that you are putting out enough fertilizer for your yield goals with both crops if you only want to fertilize once every other year. So what often happens is we see fertilizer get put out for corn and Almost all that fertilizer is used by the corn, and then there's not nearly enough left for a good yielding soybean crop. So that's number one. Just make sure you're putting enough out there if you're only going to fertilize every other year. Number two, I talked about rented ground and I talked about banding and everything. There is another approach, and this is something we've done with some of our landlords, where we just said, look, here here are your soil tests. And the problem with the fertility levels where you're at today is I can't maximize yield. And if you want proof of that, let me show you on here are my soil tests for my ground that from my ground that I own. And here are my yields from my ground that I own. Okay. You see the difference here. All right. I would like to pay you more rent, but I can't because I, I can't get enough yield off of this. So can we work something out long-term? Can, I mean, can we share cost in fertilizer? Can we have a, maybe a long-term agreement where I have your ground for many years or just something? So then you don't mind putting that fertilizer out there and actually truly building the soil and balancing the soil fertility. 
what often happens is as farmers, and you know, it's the same thing has happened to me before too, where we feel afraid to talk to the landlord about something like that. Like, oh, the, either the landlord's going to get mad or they're not going to go along with me anyway or whatever. I'm just suggesting that if you can, you might at least consider having this conversation with your landlord. Many of them are understanding. Many of them want to have their ground be better. Now, sure, there are some landlords who just want the check and that's it. And I get that. But everybody's going to be that way until you start talking to them about the value of their ground and the fertility and what can be done for yield. So I remember there was one piece of ground we we farmed on share rent for a few years and we had the landlord spend all the money on the fertility to get everything up to balancing because I said, I, I mean, it's your fertility, really. And we're now sharing after that. And our agreement from here on out is I'm going to maintain that fertility level. So we can test it every year if you would like, but we will maintain that fertility level. And I said, I'll be honest with you, we're actually going to put on more than that because I want to continue growing this thing. I want to make your ground great. And so we farmed their ground now for many years. It's gotten better and better. We've actually worked with them putting tile in and everything else. But, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. So, yep. The, the pop-up fertilizer thing is nice. It's just, it doesn't get you very far. So when we want to talk fertilizer and soybeans, there's only so much you can do foliar. You'd have to be out there all the time. There's only so much that can be done if your ground is, uh, let's say, really low fertility to take it to high fertility in one shot. In soybeans, most people can't afford that. And, and a lot of times it just doesn't make financial sense. Now, maybe this year, maybe this year when beans are $12. Okay, that, then that's that's going to help change things. But yes, you got to have good fertility, not just for corn, wheat, and some other crops, but for soybeans. Soybeans need good fertilizer. Makes all the difference in the world. All right, let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, get this one from Landon down in Oklahoma. He said, thanks for taking my question. We, we want to talk about drainage tile. However, we don't have a huge use for drainage tile as we're pretty dry and normally pretty warm, but there are parts of our fields that need drainage. They've got sodium building up. Occasionally we'll drown out some plants and they're difficult to farm through sometimes. So we'd like to tile in those spots. We just can't find anybody in Oklahoma that installs tile and we don't have enough acres to justify buying a plow ourselves. What would you recommend? I'd buy a plow. And then what I do is I do some custom work for neighbors. And if that doesn't pan out, I just sell the plow. Yeah, sell the plow. Buy the plow, use it up, and And sell sell it. Yep, yep. So, I I mean, I can't promise you that that's going to pay off tremendously well, but I can just tell you what happened on our farm. We bought a plow. Now, granted, we farmed 3,200 acres, so we could easily afford to plow. But let's say we farmed 300 acres. I still would have bought a plow. We still would have put tile in, and that plow would have paid for itself on 300 acres, even if I kept it. And there wouldn't have even been any question about that. So plows are not that expensive. I mean, grand total, all in, you're probably going to spend 50 grand, maybe maybe 75 grand, depending on if you want to really dress things up and, you know, go fancy, whatever. But it's not that much money. And then there is value to that when you get done. If you can do all your tiling, if you only have a few acres and you can get all your tiling done in a year or two, get it done, then go sell it. 
But like I say, as soon as you put tile in, I I can almost guarantee your neighbors are going to go, ooh, hey, can you do that for me? And there you go. Now you can really pay for that thing. Yeah, if you notice there are spots like you have on your farm around you and in the, in the neighboring fields, you know they need tile. And as soon as they see you doing it and improving things, you're right. They, they'll they jump on Okay, board. I got to tell you a story too. This goes all the way back to when we got our first tile plow in 2007. And anyway, there was, uh, there was a guy we were working with in Indiana and he goes, guys, I just got to tell you this. So again, this is 2007. He goes, I bought a, I got a tile plow a while back and here's what I do. Now I go buy ground that everybody else says is junk. I got my tile plow. I put tile in and that ground in one year goes from being junk to being great. And now I got a steal of a deal on that land. So that's one way to approach that too. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one in Brian from Brett. He said, why don't you guys talk more about hay production on your show? Um, the, the big, so Darren and I have been agronomists for around 30 years each. And the crops that we typically deal with, and the reason why we're, well, let's just put it this way. We get the most questions on corn, number one, soybeans, number two, wheat, number three. So those are the our top areas of expertise. And those are the big acre crops in the United States. So that's usually what we end up talking about. We do talk about hay, whether you're talking grass hay or alfalfa hay. We just don't talk about it all the time because quite frankly, we just don't get as many questions on it. So if you have some specific questions, we'd be more than happy to talk about that. We do have certain shows even dedicated to grass hay production or alfalfa hay production. We get a lot of shows in a year here on Ag PhD Radio. So we're always open to topic suggestions from anyone. All right, we'll get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo, it's an upgrade. The AR stands for Arlax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. 
That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, the consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front, offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when Asgro leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head back to the phone lines here. We've got Jeremy with us in central Minnesota. Jeremy, how you doing? Good. How about you guys? Not too bad. We were talking soybean fertility with the planter a little earlier. I understand you got a question. I do. Yep. Um, I got liquid set up on the planter. I can do two by two and in furrow. I do ten gallons two by two and five gallons in furrow is what I'm set up with like for corn, I guess. Um, I'm looking to do uh, like a quarter manganese, a quarter micro ex, um, and possibly a gallon or two, maybe some sure for soybeans this year. And I was also thinking of doing uh, slurry. Um, some soluble and some water, and then blend that in and run that into planter. Um, looking to maybe do up to like a half a pound of boron, I guess, maybe even a quarter pound, you know, kind of what soybeans need for, you know, 60 bushel beans in a year, I guess. Um, and where would that boron go? Jeremy, where would that boron well, go? Well, you're probably, probably asking. Two by two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking probably more, you lean oh. more towards two by two, but. Yeah, okay. Um, that That's our biggest concern. So a quart of manganese has no problem in furrow. Quart of micro EX, yep. it's a bunch of different micronutrients. That's really no issue in furrow. So now you got a half gallon already. If it was me, I would consider putting a little bit of Sure-K in there, but it might only be a half gallon. And then I'd probably throw some water with it and put the rest of your Sure-K in the two-by-two. With Solubor, I I mean, I'll be honest, I'm a little concerned putting Solubor in a band with soybeans. Uh, if if the soybean root happens to hit that and you haven't had much rain, it, it can burn off if you're talking half a pound. Whereas if you broadcast it, then you're just going to be so much safer. So a lot of times what we have done is taken that solubor and we've put thrown that in with our pre. Or we've done, you know, some other liquid with the pre or, or, or something like, or you, you can do a little foliar, you just can't go as much as what you're talking here. So that's where I'm saying pre would be better. If you want to throw a little bit in uh, your two by two, fine, but you got just got to keep that really low. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was kind of thinking. If I don't do soluble, you'd be fine putting the 
uh, a quart of micros, a quart of magazines, yep. and possibly a gallon or something in for all. Yep. Uh, it'd be a... Uh, that's probably all I'd do, and then it'd still yep. be the five gallons, so the rest of it would be water, so... Yeah, yep, yep, um, yes, yes. How much? Well, otherwise, that was the thing. If I throw the salt or the boron in there, I'd move that over to two-by-two, two, mm-hmm. um, and then be up to ten gallons, you know, total, or well, sure. whatever. The rest would be water, I guess, so... Yeah, and, and that's um, fine with soluble anyway, but, yeah, I just... I, I, I have a difficult time recommending very much boron with the planter, with corn even and with soybeans yeah. it's even more critical so yeah. almost always like on our farm i'll just tell you when we start talking nitrogen sulfur and boron the leachable nutrients we're usually broadcasting because then we can put higher rates on we don't have to worry about crop safety and we know that it's going to get down into that root zone and get down there fairly quickly yeah, and that's what I've been doing is broadcasting boron. Well, it's been sure. dry boron, sure. but, I mean, it just seems like it's <laughs> a particle here and a particle there, and it's just not. Oh, I got you. I just thought of maybe putting it maybe a little bit just two by two or something sure. to give it a little better shot, I guess. Yeah, but, and, and you can. Um, it's just when you said half a pound, I don't know if you're talking half a pound of actual or of soluble, but if it was half a pound of actual, I would say that's too much. So if you're talking, okay. you, you know, if you want to be at a quarter pound or something, you're probably going to be fine. Okay. Well, maybe I'll try a little bit at a quarter pound sure. and try it yep. slow, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one other quick question. Um, two by two, you know, everyone talks two inches to the side of the seed, two inches below. Yep. How important is it being there? Like, because on our planter, it's, I think it's about two and a quarter to the side. And then I think it could either be three quarter above the seed, even with the seed, or three quarter below. Where, where did, Where's the best <laughs> place to be in relation to the seed? Lower is better. Lower is better. Lower is better? Yep, okay. lower is better. That's what I kind of thought too, but I thought some one time I heard it, the seed comes up and then goes down and it didn't really make a uh, difference. But Well, okay. okay. So, yeah, we, <laughs> we like lower better for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's more fertility in your top two inches probably than in your next eight if it's the way it is on a lot of farms. So there's no point in loading up as much near the top. You want to get it down a little bit deeper. The next thing is there will be more root mass, especially when you're talking, uh, you know, two or two and a quarter inches over to the side. There will be more root mass the further down you get, as opposed to if you're, you know, if you're an inch from the soil surface, unless you have a whole lot of compaction, you're not going to see those roots come sideways that much that fast. So roots a lot of times are growing down at, uh, what do they say, Darren, 45-degree angle or so? Yeah, if there's no compaction and it's just perfect potting soil out there, yep. Yep, and with soybeans, maybe even a little more because soybeans are a little more of a taproot than what corn is. So with corn, uh, you know, the, the nodal root system, by the way, will come out above the seed on corn. It is. It does not work that way on soybeans, though. With soybeans, you're going to find more root mass down where the seed is and below it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was kind of thinking. I'd like to be, like you said, uh, around that two inches below it, but uh, I don't think it's possible with them openers. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not uh, saying you absolutely have to. I'm just simply saying, hey, the deeper you can get it, the better. You just do what you have to do. Yep. And then, you know, if you were getting so deep, you're probably going to cause a problem with your uh, seed furrow anyway, potentially. So, uh, yeah, just right. do, do the best you can. But as a general statement, lower is better. Okay. okay. All right. That'll work then. Thanks for the call, right, Jeremy. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye. All right, Brian. Had a question come in here from EK in Turkey. He said, I, I'm an acad- 
academician, academian in finance. I should have practiced that word before I read this one. He said, but my brother and I are also producing corn. And so we're going to plant about 100 acres of corn, but we're shooting for big yields like 400 bushels. We've got irrigation. We've got fertility. Uh, Get a soil sample for you guys to look at. Just wondering if you could help us on what we should be putting out there for fertilizer. Okay. The first thing we would encourage you to do is take a look at how much your crop actually needs. So there is a free app that you should be able to download even there, the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. And for example, when we put in 400 bushel corn, and I don't know, you know, I I know very little about the metric system and the conversions, but so I'm just going to talk bushels and acres here, and you can convert it over if you need to. By the way, there is metric on the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. But anyway, so if I punch in 400 bushel corn, what it's going to take for potassium in total is 540 pounds to the acre, 540. So right now with potassium, you're at 219. So if I double that, figuring this is a six-inch soil test, uh, that's going to give me roughly 440 pounds. I multiply that times 1.2 to convert over to K2O potassium, and I'm I'm under the 540-pound mark. So, I, and that's if you were to remove all the potassium in your soil. So my point is, you got to put a lot more potassium out there. And I see in your recommendations, it looks like they're telling you to put some potassium out. I don't know what the all the stuff means here. Uh, I, I, don't, uh, I don't speak the, this language uh, that it's in, but I can read the numbers. And the numbers are telling me you need a lot. So that's the first thing is potassium. Second thing is phosphorus. In terms of phosphate, you need 204 pounds. And here again, your soil test is really, really low. So P and K is where I'm going to put the first dollars. Beyond that, I did notice your iron level was really low at one part per million. Now, I don't know what extraction method is used or anything else, but I see on here they have recommendation to get iron out there. Iron is a big time key for good corn yields. Not that it takes a crazy amount of iron or anything like that. I mean, you only need a couple of pounds, but Number one, you want to have your copper levels always above your manganese levels, and right now they are not. And number two, in terms of extracting that iron from the soil, it's not like super mobile in the soil. So you need a lot out there just to extract a small percentage. Uh, How many samples do you have there for 100 acres? Well, there's one sample here. And so that's the next thing. Yeah, good good point, Darren. I didn't... Anyway, what... And I realize you're going to, as soon as they say this, you're going to go, what? Wow. We, if we have a 100-acre field, we'll pull 100 soil samples and send them in. And when we do samples, we'll pull 8 to 12 cores in each spot. But I'm, I'm not saying you have to do one-acre no, grids like no, we are, no, but, but at least do a few more spots than just this. Yeah, you're, you're going to learn a lot doing that. And, and uh, also watch your yield monitor. If you've got maps from the past of how different areas of the farm yielded, that will give you some ideas, too, of where some areas are at that you may want to pay more, atten- more attention to. Uh, and a good tip might be take some samples in those high-yielding areas, take some samples in the low-yielding areas, and see what's different. See what's good in those good areas and start doing more of that. Hey, thanks for the question. Thanks for checking out our program, too. Really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.